Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Football Social Daily with German Doner Kebab. Now 40 restaurants across the UK. Find out where at germandonerkebab.com. Hello and welcome to Football Social Daily. Normally a daily Premier League podcast keeping you in the loop with all the news, gossip and opinion from the English top flight. But right now it's a bit of football escapism keeping you entertained to alleviate your isolation boredom. Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays, that's when we'll be bringing you a brand new podcast, maybe even a special show every now and again. So click subscribe so you never miss another episode. I'm Jim Salverson and hold up in their respective lockdown locations today. I've got Niall McCorn and Marley Anderson. Hello, boys. All right, lads. Hello. Are we bearing up okay? Just about. (laughs) I'm all right. The sun being out this week, though, in the UK is absolutely killing me. Being a southern softy, as sometimes mm. I get called by the northerners up here in Manchester, I've been complaining for a good 10 months about the rain. And the one time the sun comes out in the UK, everyone's locked indoors. I can't <laughs> believe it. Particularly in Manchester. I can't remember the last time we had a decent march in Manchester. And it's cracking the flags. It's insane out there. So today's podcast is going to be a little bit different to normal. On Friday's shows for the time being, we're going to be tackling your questions questions that you've sent in via our twitter account via our facebook page via our instagram account you can search the sports social on any of those platforms to find us there see the content that we create and also get your questions in for next week's podcast it's a combination of topical theoretical whimsical it's anything you like we're going to go through your questions very shortly but before we do that Let's get stuck into a Friday review Whee. to get us into the weekend in, in good spirits. So there's no excuse not to leave us a podcast review at the moment because you've got nothing better to do. So do it via iTunes or Spotify or Google Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today's review comes from Down Under in Australia. And it's, should I do an Australian accent or is that going to alienate people? And No. Go for it. You've got nothing <laughs> right. to lose, Jim, except a million listeners. <laughs> There was two different votes there. There was one for yes, one for no. I'm going to go, I'm, 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 I'm 25% Australian. I've got family down there, so I'm going to avoid it just in case Ooh. I 
upset them. So I'm going to go. Yeah. Amazing podcast with a mix of humour and knowledge between the boys who frequent the podcast. Good use of frequent. Being an Australian listener, this podcast has been my go-to guide for all the fixtures and insights on all the games this season. Just hope you'll be able to talk about the mighty Borough in the next few years. I won't be holding my breath though. Amazing. There's a Middlesbrough fan living in Australia. So that one is from R, then that weird Y sign that I think means yen, then an at sign, and then an N at the end. I'm not sure how you pronounce that. I wonder if that's his real name. Do you think he was christened that? I christen you R, yen sign, at N. I think it's probably a smart way of spelling Ryan, to be honest, Jim. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so if it is Ryan, that's exactly cheers, what, that's thanks exactly for your comment. What it is. That's exactly what it is. Wow. Great grab. Right, who, invite, right. who invited the fun police onto this podcast? <laughs> I know isolation's tough, but it shouldn't be killing off your brain cells. It kills your sense of humour. <laughs> right, before we get into the questions, there is a little bit of news to go through, because according to the Daily Mail today, EFL clubs have been told they will not return to action on the 30th of April. That's the date that was suggested that Premier League and Football League football might resume. I think it's pretty obvious that that wasn't going to happen. It's going to be announced early next week, but there will be no return to football on the 30th of April, as was originally planned. No shocks there really, is there, boys? Not at all, and I think probably the right decision. Like you say, we're kind of stumbling into the dark of this situation. We said it on the podcast last week about we don't really know what's going to happen, and I don't think anyone does. I don't think the EFL do, I don't think the Premier League do. We're just kind of fumbling blindly through the darkness, trying to find a solution to the situation that we're in. And what's kind of baffling me is everyone's worried about next season. Everyone's worried about when that's going to start and the conventions around having to start it at a certain time. We just need to focus on what we've got in front of us right now. Firstly, that everyone's safe and healthy and that everyone's getting the support they need. And secondly, finishing the task at hand. And the task at hand is a three quarters completed season. And we've still got time to do that. However, I think that with the proposals introduced by the government about you know, this supposed lockdown that we're in at the moment and the fact that football to return on the 30th of April was kind of a provisional measure. I can understand why that's been pushed back. And, you know, it should be continually pushed back until the time is right for us to resume again. I don't think we should take any risks or cut any corners with this. Completely. It's a long way in the future, I think, at the moment when football is going to return. So we'll leave that one there and we'll get on to the questions that you've been sending us via social media. You can do this whenever you like. We'll tackle them on next Friday's podcast. We've all got a load of questions in front of us. I'm going to kick off. I'm going to go with Colin from East London, who has a question which he starts with by saying a bit controversial, but should the playoffs be scrapped and third place promoted? Now, I don't know whether he's talking about this season because of the corona thing, obviously, and trying to squeeze in as many games as possible in a shorter period of time, or whether he's talking about in general. So we can tackle both those topics, really. He's obviously talking about the championship playoffs and below and how teams can be promoted into the Premier League. What are our thoughts on this one? Because, I mean, in terms of scrapping the playoffs, you're only going to lose a maximum of three games. That's it. The two-legged first semi-final, if you like, and then the final. So it's not going to make a massive difference, is it? It isn't, but... Um, as of I, I, I'm just dead against this idea of, of scrapping the playoffs. Like, I don't think um, and for scrapping the playoffs and promoting the team that's third because it's just it's not fair on fourth, fifth, and sixth, and it's also not fair on uh, the whole the whole league as a whole. I mean, there's still uh, 
there's 46 games in the championship, so there's still nine to play for every team. And if you ended it now, and you had the um, you had Fulham go up for Fulham are in third, the four points clear with Brentford and Nottingham Forest in in fourth and fifth. There's still at the end of every season there is a playoff system. There's one of four teams to go up. So even if you finish the season now, those four teams would still be still having a twenty five percent each shot of getting to the Premier League. Whereas if you if you uh, ended the, the league now, Leeds and West Brom, who are first and second, they're automatic promotion places anyway, so they would go up, and that's more fair. But, for example, if you were... I mean, Bristol City are seventh. They're one point off Preston. So, in those nine games, you could. it's definitely going to change. I mean, Millwall, Cardiff and Blackburn aren't even out of it as well, because they're only three points behind uh, sixth as well. So, I just don't think... When when it's such a lottery that happens at the end of every season anyway, if you stop it and then start it and say, well, third are the highest, so they should go up, that's just that's a joke because third has never been an automatic promotion place, so why should they go up just because you need a third team? If you're gonna if you're gonna end the playoffs, the playoffs should be the last thing you end. If you want three teams to get promoted, you should cancel the rest of the season and say those that are in the playoff system now will will somehow get those games played then you only need to come up with um three games to be played in this uncertain time rather than another nine or another zero i think there's a few facets to this to be honest i think the first one is what we all know makes the game tick and that's money these games are an extra game or two in the season they're televised they're days out at wembley they're big money spinners for these clubs and, you know, it's an opportunity for them to reach the Premier League. And like Marley says, in terms of a level playing field, it might be more fair. And my first concern is forget about the fact that the season's been suspended. Let's just say the season came to a conclusion naturally and Fulham did finish in third spot and Brentford pulled back that four point deficit. And they ended up on the same amount of points as Fulham, the same goal difference, the same goals scored and the head to head record was the same. So what happens then? You have a playoff. <laughs> you need to have a playoff, don't you? That's the only way to decide how you get promoted. I mean, back in the old days, it was the first three teams in the second division that would go up to the old first division. And the playoffs as we know them now have been that way since 1990. So it's been 30 years of this system of teams finishing in a certain spot will play off against each other and the winner will get promoted. So I think a playoff is almost inevitable because, you know, as soon as they scrap the playoffs and say the top three teams go up, if a team goes up on goal difference... Okay, yeah, it's kind of exciting. You can win a league on goal difference. We saw it with Man City and Man United in 2012, probably the greatest Premier League season ever. But, you know, it kind of feels that a playoff is inevitable regardless. There will be a situation somewhere down the line where teams will have the same record, the same points, and they'll need to have a playoff anyway to decide who goes up. So why not keep it anyway? Plus, it does give teams an opportunity to cling on to something at the end of a season. It makes the league more competitive. For instance, at this moment in time, you probably think Preston and Bristol City, two teams that Marley mentioned there, in sixth and seventh. If third place was a promotion spot, with nine games to go, those two teams might think they had a chance. But certainly with five games to go, if they don't get any closer, if third place was promotion, they might just write the season off. And in that case, the season becomes a bit of a damp squib. Whereas the playoffs keeps teams interested and it gives them something to compete for. Well, there's not that European spot, is there? And I think at the end of the day, the playoffs, and particularly if you're in the playoff final, it is a great day out. And it's often called the richest 
game in football because of the reward at the end of it is more than just a shiny trophy. It's the promised land of the Premier League and the riches that that brings. And as a West Ham fan who has been through that experience of having a playoff game, it's just an exciting moment in the club's history. So I don't think it's worth scrapping it. In terms of this season, as I've said before, you can't change the rules to a game halfway through a season. No matter what it is, whether it's curtailing the season 75% completed, whether it's changing the European spots, whatever it is, you can't make those changes. It needs to be set out at the beginning of the season and people need to know what they're playing for. Right now, you've got the next question. Yeah, I do. This question comes from Pablo and he says, Alan Shearer says he thinks Harry Kane will leave Tottenham if they don't win a trophy in the next 12 months. So do you guys think he should quit Spurs? if they don't win silverware in the next year? And if so, where will Harry Kane end up? Thank you for your question, Pablo. Marley needs to go first on this one because he's going to just agree with anything that Alan Shearer <laughs> says just automatically. Do you know what? I was thinking about this and uh, shock and surprise, I actually do agree with the god that is Alan Shearer. <laughs> um, yeah, I think... So I was thinking about Spurs, Spurs last night and their sort of way, like where they're at as a club. And I think, obviously, it hasn't been been amazing under Mourinho, but they are still in this kind of transition period where they're getting used to things he wants from them and he's sorting out a few bad eggs in the camp and stuff. And I think that'll take probably probably 9 to 12 months to sort that all out. So I know they haven't won anything since, like, 2008 or whatever it was, and even that was only a, a Carlin Cup or whatever it was called back then, but... They um they need I think that Kane would obviously win trophies at other clubs more regularly than Spurs. However, Mourinho's track record of winning trophies is that good that you deserve he deserves some some time, probably a year, to to uh, do what he do what he wants to do at Spurs. And if they're still not winning trophies at the end of it, then you're still only twenty four, twenty five. Just pack your bags and say all the best, lads. But if you're looking at where he would go, I think he's genuinely he should have a should have an eye on the the British the Premier League record of of Shearer because if, as we've said um, in the past, if he carries on at the rate he is for another probably eight years, he'll probably catch Shearer. So if he went to Spain, he went, if he went to Real Madrid or to Barcelona or something like that, or to PSG or Juventus, whoever wanted him, who would like that that would play on his mind? I think I. I think um, that's a legacy that he can leave if he uh, if he stays in the Premier League. So, but yeah, I think give. I know you might not be that happy with Mourinho, but as long as you don't fall out with him, you deserve. He deserves time. His track record deserves a bit of time to see if he can eke something out of that uh, Spurs squad once he gets his signings in and and his way of playing around to the players and stops making them all throw the dummies out the pram kind of thing. You mentioned uh, Shearer's record there, but we said the same thing about Wayne Rooney, if you can remember, a few years ago, saying, oh, if Rooney carries on the rate he's going at, he'll break the record. I don't think that many people will get close to Shearer's record. And as soon as someone does break that 260, Newcastle fans will go, well, he scored another 40 goals in the top flight before that, so it's around 300. But I just don't think that record will ever be broken. I think if Harry Kane leaves the Premier League, though, Jim, and does leave Tottenham, 
I still think he'll be classed as a Premier League legend, even though it feels like he's only been on the block for five minutes. He scored 120 odd goals already. He's been injured for a fair amount of time over those seasons. So I feel if he did leave, he would leave as a Premier League legend. Oh, he's undoubtedly one of the best and his injury record has no doubt held him back as well in terms of that goals total. What I hope doesn't happen and Marley mentioned there PSG being one of the potential suitors. I've heard that as a rumour as well. I don't think he should go to a team like PSG because it feels like it would just be a cynical move to win a trophy. Because if you go to PSG, chances are you're going to win at Ligue 1. That's the way it goes. If he's that desperate to win a trophy, you can just go down goals and set up a -a five-a-side team and get a trophy from that. It feels like he should go to one of the big clubs. He belongs at one of the big clubs. Barcelona doesn't seem to make sense to me. I can't quite work out why that doesn't fit in my head, but I could see him going to Real Madrid potentially. I think he'd play very well at Juventus. I think he'd suit the Italian league. Ultimately, he's best suited to the Premier League. It's the league he knows. It's whether he'd be willing to almost be the snake that left. I don't think anyone hold it against him, but you know there would be a certain amount of Spurs fans that if he left and went to... Manchester United or Manchester City or Liverpool. I think he'd be a brilliant replacement for Firmino at Liverpool if he went to one of those clubs that would accuse him of being a snake. But surely he knows the Premier League. He knows he can get success there and I'd love to see him playing for a bigger club. Do you know what? I was thinking Real Madrid as well, but it also crossed my mind. Is it just the fact that they play in a white kit (laughs) that it's more easy to visualise Harry Kane playing for Real Madrid? Because Spurs play in the same colour kit. England, Spurs. <laughs> exactly. He can only play for teams in white kits. So press the North End and Leeds. Get your checkbooks out, lads. <laughs> yeah, Leeds. Also, I think Real Madrid might be a shout as well, Marley, because they signed Luka Jovic from Frankfurt in the summer. But this season, he's only played 15 games and scored twice. And he was like one of Europe's top marksmen when he left Frankfurt. And everyone was saying, oh, he's only 22, got loads of potential ahead of him. And he could be a decent replacement for Benzema. He could be this next big kid on the block in terms of a European juggernaut of a striker. But it's not really worked out for him. And there's rumours that he might leave Real Madrid in the summer. So if that is the case, then that could open a spot up for Kane to join Real Madrid. Yeah, it's um, Jovic was, was one of the, probably the, the best young striker in, in Europe last season when he was at Frankfurt. He scored a ridiculous amount of goals up front with, with Seb Haller, at, um, who's now at West Ham. Um, and he's just not really fit. A lot, a lot of players do this though at Real Madrid. That's that's kind of one of the things that Kane might have to to think about because if you look at the the amount of talented players that have came in, all of a sudden they just don't seem to fancy them, um, and they kind of fall by the wayside a little bit um, as well at Real Madrid. There's the there's the uh, the way the fans are towards. British players, if you look at how Bale's been treated, they don't seem to to fancy Bale, even though he's he's never really put a foot wrong, other than his injury record, which he can't help at uh, at the club. Uh, they didn't really say it to Michael Owen back in the day. I can relate to that uh, as a Newcastle fan when he uh, just sat with his feet up on the on the bench for four four years. Um, and going back further, McManaman was there a little bit. Lineker was was at Barcelona. They they just don't have the best track record, English people, of going abroad and becoming like sort of club legends. So, I think that should play in in his in his decision making. To be honest, if if you are going to leave the club, if you are going to leave Spurs, maybe stay in England because people don't doubt his ability over there. He doesn't need to prove himself really. Everyone knows by looking at me, he's one of the best finishers in the world. He's one of the best strikers in the world, and he's doing that at Spurs. So. 
if you're looking at Spurs as not quite a world-class elite club, but you are looking at Real Madrid and Barcelona and Man City and PSG as one of those, then I don't think there's there's too much of a, a debate to say that he could do it at those clubs. I don't think he needs to really go and prove himself. There you go, Pablo. There's your answer. He's going to leave Spurs. We just don't know where he's going to go after that. That wraps it up, doesn't it? Nice one. Cool. Right, Marley, I think it might be your turn for a question now. Uh, it is, yeah. Um, it's a good one, this. We got it on Instagram last night from uh, Finn, who I think is Dutch. Um, he says, who are the best players to, to be relegated from the Premier League? So if you look at it over the years, there has been some shocking teams with very good players in. So has anyone got any that can that spring off the top of the head? West Ham's 2019-20 squad. (laughs) (laughs) Potentially. No, but seriously, West Ham's 2002 relegated team, who were, in my view, the best ever Premier League team to get relegated, went down with 42 points, which I think is still the record for a relegated team. So that's a fact. The facts don't lie. They are the best Premier League team to ever get relegated. You look at some of the players they had in their ranks... David James, Michael Carrick, Trevor Sinclair, Jermaine Defoe, Paolo Di Canio, Glenn Johnson, Joe Cole, Les Ferdinand, who wasn't at his peak of his powers at that time, but was still decent. Nigel Winterburn, Thomas Repka. It was such a good team that went down in 2002. So I have to pick one of them, I think, to be the best Premier League team to ever, ever Premier League player to ever get relegated. And it's got to be Joey Cole. Joey Cole, best Premier League player ever to be relegated from the top flight. Joey Cole was class, to be fair. I'm going two years later than that, Jim. I'm going for the Leeds United squad that was relegated in 2004. The actual biggest home win of the season, that campaign, was for Pompey, who beat Leeds United 6-1. And I remember that game, and I couldn't believe that we had beaten them by that scoreline. Because if you look at some of the players in the team, the likes of Paul Robinson in goal, who went on to be an England international, Ian Hart, who was an Irish international, who used to score free kicks for fun, Nick Barmby was an England international, Mark Viduka... Alan Smith, who was a top striker at that time. Michael Dubry, David Batty was there. Dominic Matteo. James Milner was also a young player in the Leeds squad at that time. So they had some really good players in that Leeds squad back in 2004. I think Roque Jr. was on loan from AC Milan at Leeds at that time as well. So they had some really good players. Uh, who was the one player? You had to pick one player. That was that was a team. <sighs> well, it's got to be James Milner, hasn't it? Because he got relegated with Leeds. And since then, he's won a couple of Premier Leagues with Man City. Looks like he's going to win the Premier League again this season with Liverpool when the season resumes. He's played for England numerous times. He's won a Champions League and played in a couple of Champions League finals. So for me, it's got to be Milner out of those lot. And the other squad that I was going to pick, which probably does come second to that Leeds team, would be the QPR side of circa 2013 to 2015 where they kind of yo-yoed between the championship and the Premier League and Harry Redknapp seemed to basically round up a load of old ringers the likes of Rob Green and Alex McCarthy of course McCarthy now plays in goal for Southampton Armin Traore, Rio Ferdinand, Joey Barton, Sean Wright Phillips Nico Cranshaw, Junior Hoylett who still plays in the Premier League with Bournemouth Charlie Austin was also in the team so any of those two squads were also decent, but if I had to pick one player, it would probably be Milner from that Leeds team. Okay, I've got a couple uh, couple of names for you. Um, looking at the... Well, looking close to home, surprisingly enough. Um, I'm going to look at Newcastle United's 2008-9 to season. Uh, that one where, where we had uh, Joe Kinnear in charge at some point. <laughs> And then, and then Chris Hewton, and then uh, for the final eight games, Alan Shearer. Um, but in that squad, there was some right talent. There was Fabrizio Colaccini, 
um, who uh, was in the team all all season. Um, Kevin Nolan was there. Joey Barton was there. Michael Owen was there. People forget about this when they point out how many he won the Premier League with Man United. He also got relegated with Newcastle. Um, so try and rub in that one up. How many games did he play that season? Owen. Uh, he was uh, conveniently injured uh, quite a lot, which was why the reason why Owen and Shearer now uh, dislike each other. Because there was a, a pivotal game against Fulham. I think it was four, uh, two, three or four games towards the end of the season. And um, Owen's, Owen, Owen had a groin injury and said that he didn't want to play, but he'd been passed fit by the uh, physios. And Owen said... Uh, uh, sorry, Shearer said to Owen, are you all right to play? And he said, yeah, but I don't want to because what if my groin goes, my contract up at the end of the season? So that just gives you a, an idea of how wow. how hard Michael Owen was pulling for the team. Uh, so he was another one. Damien Duff was in that team. Oh, Damien Duff, underrated player. Damien Duff was a fantastic winger on his day. Um, Andy Carroll was a, was a young lad uh, in that team as well. Um, and also when we went back, when we went down again in 2015, uh, the 15-16 season, one probably our best player in that season was Ginny Wijnaldum, who's now obviously at Liverpool, gone on to uh, win the win the Champions League and prove himself as a fantastic midfielder. I think he scored us 14 goals that season, and it was uh, it was fantastic uh, money spent because we only spent 15 million on him. Um, and he was one of he was the most expensive signing of Mike Ashley's ownership to that point until we broke it um, relatively recently. Um, but he was amazing, and we couldn't keep hold of him. As soon as he went down, Liverpool uh, snapped him up for twenty five million, I think. So he made a ten million profit, and he's gone on to become uh, a, a fixture in the Holland team, Champions League winner and Premier League winner. If if this season ever restarts, so. There's a few there from Newcastle. Probably the best one of the lot was probably probably Wijnaldum with what he went on to do, to be honest. I'll tell you what, before you go on to the next question, do you want to hear the bottom five teams of that 2004 Premier League season? The one I was talking about where Leeds went down. Yeah, go on. 16th Manchester City, 17th Everton, 18th Leicester, 19th Leeds and 20th Wolves. You couldn't imagine that now, could you? Well, Leeds are the only team that aren't now combating for a top six place. That's incredible. All right, we'll do one more question, then we'll take a little break. This one comes from Liam in Leicester. Now, this is a big question. He says, do you think that the new T-shirt line proposal with handball will help decisions in the future? So this has come out of an IFAB meeting that I think was about a month ago that there should be a change in the handball rule to make it easier for referees and VAR officials to, to differentiate between the arm and the shoulder of a player. So the suggestion is there is a t-shirt line rule. It's going to be in place for the start of the 2020-21 season. I don't know if this is a decision that's been made or if it's a proposal or not, but the idea is that there'll be a clear line on the arm, which is where you'd imagine the cuff of a t-shirt being. Anything below that is a handball. Anything above that is not a handball because it's off the shoulder. For me, this feels like it's only going to confuse things further because it's not an actual... Nobody has a T-shirt line on their body. It's not an actual body part. It's just kind of of a theoretical position. If the answer is, do I think this new T-shirt line proposal will improve handball decisions, then the answer's probably no. 
So can we move on to the next question? <laughs> it, it seems like a ridiculous move, doesn't it? Well, to me, I've always said this, and I don't want to be like, oh, I suggested this ages ago, but it's exactly what I'm going to sound like. <laughs> I always say that if you want to make handball clear, then make it handball is handball, regardless of whether it's deliberate, accidental, harsh, lenient. If the ball hits you from shoulder downwards, and then this is another thing, the T-shirt line deciding where the shoulder starts and where the arm begins as well. Let's just say if it hits you on the hand or the arm, it's a handball. Even if you go, I didn't mean it, ref, it was ball to hand, I don't care. Give all decisions as handball and then there can be no arguments there. And you go, oh, that's harsh. That's not fair. But actually it is fair because it's the rules. The rules are if it hits your hand, it's a handball. None of this, oh, he couldn't get his hands out of the way or it's in unnatural position. You then solve the issue. It's black and white. And that's what we need in football. We need more black and white decisions which is why VAR has been so controversial. We won't obviously go down that route, but I just think handball should be, if the ball hits you in the hand or the arm, whether you can get out of the way or not, it doesn't matter. The decision is then given. And if you go, all oh, ref, that's a bit harsh. The referee can shrug his shoulders and just go, that's the rules, I'm afraid. It's just unlucky. That's the way it should be, in my opinion. At least then it alleviates any problems and eradicates any issues with the handball rule. Handball will then be pretty much clear and obvious, as the VAR directive says, and then we'll be able to get on with the game. I think you're right. It's a problem that maybe doesn't need solving as to where it hits you on the body and whether it's a handball or not. Because I think we all in general understand that if it hits the shoulder. It's not. If it hits lower down the arm, it is a handball. As you say, the intention is something that causes some debate. There's also debate as to whether it, you create an advantage from touching the ball and we've seen a few goals ruled out from VAR this season because it's believed that a player controls the ball maybe unintentionally and it gives them an advantage and also things like I mean for fuck's sake let's not worry about things that don't need fixing let's sort things like the offside rule and how it's interpreted VAR at the moment there's bigger fish to fry rather than this rule which for me just adds more confusion Marley yeah I'm just trying to get me around the t-shirt line rule does that mean like so it means like anything below the where it would hit you if you were wearing a t-shirt is handball. Is that is that what they're coming from? I think so. Yeah. It's going to lead to everyone wearing. Uh, do you remember that Cameroon kit in the World Cup a few years ago where they had no sleeves? <laughs> <laughs> Just be like, right lads, wearing one of them. So good luck getting us with handball. Um, I don't know. I it's it's a hard one in it. I don't think handball can ever really be black and white because. Even if you said every everything that hits a hand has to be handball, you would get wingers smacking and strikers deliberately kicking the ball at defenders' arms, which would seem incredibly harsh. Um, and then you could take the the stance of well, tough luck, but also you see that we've done that with with offside this year, and and said that even whether you're a the tip of your big toe offside or your entire top half of your body, it still seems harsh on teams sometimes where a clear black and white decision has been made, i.e. offside or not. And when you introduce that to, to handball, I don't, a handball can only ever really be objective and therefore it can't really be blanket, sort of blanketed as yes or no either way, I don't think. So there could be... This could rumble on for years and years before anything happens and probably go through a few tests of the rules changing every year because people don't like change, even though people want change in terms of 
we want clear decisions. When you when you give it to them, they're like, oh, we don't like this. We just look at VAR this year. They're like, well, everything should be should be right with with uh, with you know seven sets of eyes looking at it. But it's not because it's still objective. It's still is it a foul? Is it not? Is it offside? Is it not? Things are still up for debate, even though they should be black and white. So if you then say to um, to someone well we're going to make uh, we're going to make handball black and white well good luck with that i don't think you can right we're going to take a little bit of a break now we'll come back with more of your questions in a moment which is going to include who's going to be promoted from the championship we're going to talk about the euros as well who should be in the england squad for that and we've got a question about the greatest ever number sixes to play in the premier league we'll do it next on football social daily Football Social Daily with German Doner Kebab. Find your nearest GDK restaurants at germandonerkebab.com. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to Football Social Daily, your normally daily Premier League podcast. But right now, we're just trying to keep you entertained during the lockdown from the coronavirus. Today, as we will do every Friday, we're going to be answering your questions. You can get them in via our social media, at The Sports Social on Twitter. Same on Instagram, and you can search us on Facebook as well, The Sports Social. You can find us there. Marley, you've got the next question. Uh, I do. The one from Eric we've got coming. And it is, uh, it's going to be a tough one to answer, I think. Um, if you had to switch your support to another club in the Premier League, who would it be? Well, my club's not in the Premier League, so technically I'm excluded from this question, aren't I? <laughs> I don't have to change my support to anyone because we're in League One. Go on, you've got, to pick, you've got to pick a Premier League team to support, go on. OK, well, it would either be between Chelsea or Everton because they both wear blue. <laughs> Are you six? I'm not six, but let me explain, let me explain. When I was six, my uncle was on different sides of my family. One is a Chelsea fan and one's an Everton fan. And my dad being a Portsmouth fan and me being a Portsmouth fan, there was always blue shirts all over the place in my childhood at our family gatherings and stuff like that. So Chelsea, I remember watching Chelsea games with my cousins on the telly back in the old Hasselbank, Good Johnson days and before they got this big cash injection with Abramovich. And I remember those games with Zola in the old autoglass kit. And I just thought he was an unbelievable player, Zola. Really fondly remember him. But also I have a big soft spot for Everton. Really love Goodison Park as a stadium. It's a shame it's being knocked down and replaced with Bramley Moore Dock. I think they're a historical football club. Just love the vibe of Goodison. The matchday experience. It's proper old school and a club with a lot of history that maybe aren't quite as successful as they should be, which kind of reminds me of my team Pompey as well. So if I had to choose between Chelsea or Everton, I probably would go for Everton. I'd side with those, I think. I don't like the idea of being called a glory hunter. So Everton, for me, would uh, come up trumps. Well, I love the idea of being called a glory hunter, which is why I've gone for Manchester City. Because, I mean, as a West Ham fan in my entire life as a football fan, I've never experienced anything that even remotely looks like, like success. So I don't think anyone would begrudge me a little bit of glory hunting. And I've lived in Manchester now for around 15 years. I've worked for Manchester City on occasions. I've got a bit of a soft spot for them anyway. My six-year-old lad has decided he supports Manchester City because all his mates do. So, I mean, he's not going to support West Ham. So I might as well have a bit of father-son bonding over a a love for Manchester City. Jim, that's child abuse making him support West Ham, mate. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well but it's dead easy to get a ticket at Manchester City as well so there you go I could actually get to games for once which would be nice so I'm going to I'm going to turn into a sky blue I think well for me it would be 
see, I I did the sort of traditional thing of um, uh, following my dad's team, and obviously my dad's from Newcastle, so I watched uh, Newcastle as a kid and fell in love with that time when we were good back in the mid nineties. Um, so if I was to follow my the other half of my family, which was my mum's side, uh, they were all Chelsea fans. So maybe I would I would have gone that way um if i had i would have had a lot more um success down the years of of winning premier leagues and jose Mourinho and the abramovich era and that kind of thing um but if i was if i was just to pick up football now as a new fan i don't think you can watch football and not be impressed by what man burnley City do. never burnley <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Burnley fans, if you're listening, I'm, you probably aren't because I slagged, I slagged you off last week. Um, but I mean, imagine honestly, imagine if the first game you ever watched was Man City versus Burnley. Which team would you support? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just such they play such good football, and the way they do it is is bound to attract fans in future generations. And it's it's obviously as Jim's son mm. is uh, is proving that they're becoming more and more popular because they're the best and the best because they play the best football and that kind of thing. So there you go. I mean, it'd be, be it'd be between them, but you would probably say that if I, if you took me back 28 years, you would uh, you would go down the, the left-hand path of Chelsea rather than the right-hand path of Newcastle. So if you had to go back to that time, you'd probably go and become a, a fan of the, the lot at Stamford Bridge. I hope we all feel suitably dirty after that question and in need of a shower of some kind. Oh, I need a, I need a shower. Yeah. Let's move on to international football. Question from Els09, who says, who's going to win Euro 2021 when it goes ahead and who gets in the England squad? So there's two parts to this question. It's kind of timely as well because it should have been, this Wednesday should have been the last couple of friendlies before the Euros kicked off the last chance for Southgate to test his squad obviously he's going to get a bit more time to do that now so let's start with who should get into the England squad now let's not go through the entire team because that's going to take forever and there's some pretty obvious choices as to who's going to be playing in 2021 but I think there's a few outside bets that maybe if the competition had been in 2020 it could have come a little bit too soon but with it being delayed 12 months, maybe those players have got more of an opportunity to make an impact. So who might be skirting around the edges of the 2020 team but have a bit more chance of the 2021 team? Well, I think the biggest change you'll see in the England squad next summer will be at centre-back. I think that will be the huge change. I think you'll see Maguire. I think you'll probably see John Stones as well because as poor as his form's been this season, he's still a very good player and one of England's top defenders in terms of the way Southgate wants to play. He definitely fits that bill. So maybe by 2021, he would have got his act together a little bit. Whereas if the tournament was to take place this summer, obviously it's been put back a year due to COVID-19. He probably would have been excluded by Gareth Southgate. His form's off, his confidence is low. So I think in 2021, we'll see a return for John Stones. I think the likes of Tyrone Mings might miss out though in 2021. People saying that he was in with a shout for this summer squad. Possibly, but I don't see him getting into next summer's squad, particularly if Aston Villa get relegated. You know, we don't know whether he's going to stay and try and get them back up to the Premier League. If that is to be the situation, we're not sure. And continuing on the Aston Villa front, Jack Grealish might have a chance. We don't know what's going to happen to him. And I think maybe a a couple of the England spots are riding on what happens with Aston Villa, whether they get relegated or not. 
If you look at the likes of Tom Heaton as well, I know he's not number one keeper for England, but he'll certainly be in with a shout of getting into the tournament squad at least and being on the plane. And I say being on the plane, but most of the games are at Wembley, so the plane will be from Birmingham International to London City Airport. But I think it's an interesting situation at Aston Villa because obviously we haven't seen much of Jack Grealish on the international scene. He's not really had a chance for England. James Madison's only just started to get a look in by Southgate. I think this is a tough one to answer. There's so many players now that are coming through. I mean, we could see the likes of Mason Greenwood in the England squad in 2021. He's hit the ground running for Manchester United in the Premier League. He's scored in every competition he's played in. We don't know how good United are going to be next season. Now they've got Fernandez in, they seem to tick a bit better. We don't know if Pogba's going to stay and if they're going to crowbar him back into the team. And if so, how much better they'll be. We don't know about any of the other signings they might make in the summer. So we'll have to wait and see on that one. But for me, the biggest changes for me will be at centre-back. But everywhere else, I think it's hard to predict. Yeah, I think uh, I think another one to throw into that mix is uh, is possibly Phil Foden. If, um, if David Silva leaves at the end of this season... Uh, at Man City, if he gets a genuine uh, run of games, and as in he plays sort of fifty or sixty percent of uh, starts, fifty or sixty percent of Man City's games next season, I can't see him not being in the t- in the squad. There was rumours that he was on the fringes um, recently in terms of for these friendlies that that are now cancelled. So, if you're looking at building on that, if you put him this time in twelve months, I think he's he's only going to be a lot better than he's only going to progress basically he's only going to become better and better and I think the the skills he has the technical ability he has can't be ignored um if you look at the likes of like Jack Grealish has struggled to get in the England squad because of probably because of the fact that he's he's, he's a good player in a, a relatively poor team and you've got to do more in that kind of way uh, you've got to really drag the team through to sort of to get a, to get a shot <clears throat> to get a shot, it seems. Um, he, he probably will be at another club if Villa go down um, next season. So you'd probably say Grealish would be in or in and around the squad. You're looking at Callum Hudson, Adoy as well. Um, he'll have another, hopefully he'll have obviously got over that injury um, that, he's, that he's now back fit from. Um, so you'd hope he would nail down a, a place in the Chelsea team. Uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek as well. He's just coming back from from an injury right in time for the season to be suspended with this uh, COVID-19 stuff. So there's a lot of players. There's a lot of players for, for not many positions. Obviously, they all seem to be centre or attacking midfielders as well. And the only real place where there is a genuine, it's all up in the air, is defensive midfield, I would say. So if, if somebody could come out of nowhere and take that place, it really, uh, I think, the the whole thing of Euro twenty twenty being moved back to twenty twenty one has has helped England. I think they'll have a better squad next season than they will this season because if it, if it was going ahead in June, will Harry Kane be fully fit? Probably not. Would Rashford be even available? I've, nobody knows with this back injury. So this is, I think this has helped England big time. I think Dean Henderson's a really interesting shout for 2021 as well because there's a lot of clamour for him to be England's number one already but another decent season out of him and if Pickford's form continues to look as dodgy as it has I think Dean Henderson will be a great shout for England's number one particularly if he can work on his footwork and for that reason, as you say, Marley 
I think England are in with a great shout to move on to the second half of the question who could win the European Championships I know it's blind optimism hashtag it's coming home etc etc but I can see a really young England team performing really well in Euro 2021 particularly with all those home games being drawn at Wembley we've got the home advantage for a lot of them and I look at the other nations and I don't know where the competition is going to come from massively. France, I thought, would be really strong this year. But then you look at their squad and the age of some of their players and Griezmann struggling at Barcelona. You wonder whether they'll be as good in 12 months time. Belgium always looks strong going into these competitions, but then kind of flatter to deceive when they get there. So, I mean, whisper it quietly. They're the best team in the world. The FIFA rankings put Belgium as the best team in the world. That means nothing. (laughs) Belgium have got an old squad now. I don't think you can look past Belgium, though. I think they'll be in with a shout of winning it. And I think international football, you can take ages of players out of the equation. Look at Andrea Pirlo in Euro 2012. He absolutely bossed England from that deep-lying playmaker role. And he was, you know, getting on a bit. He looked about 50 at that point. So it's just one of those things where, for whatever reason, international football kind of... You can minus a couple of years off of your age. You can still compete at decent levels internationally i mean you look at the likes of olivier Giroud. he's probably going to be france's first choice striker in euro 2021 you know he's into his mid-30s now and he's probably going to leave chelsea in the summer but he's likely to be france's first choice striker at the euros if he's fully fit i nearly did a soul campbell then and said my pick for the euros is brazil (laughs) but it's not belgium for me i think they're the strongest team england are fourth in the world rankings but as you say you can't read too much into those rankings but I just can't look past Belgium. I think if De Bruyne's fit, if Lukaku's fit, I mean, just a natural goal scorer, everything you want in terms of an international player, Lukaku fits that mould. Hazard, players out wide like Yannick Ferreira Carrasco, who probably goes under the radar a little bit. They've got some top, top quality players who can still do a decent job. Even though they are ageing at the back, as Marley says, they do have decent players at the back for Tongan, Alderweireld, But international football is a little bit slower, a little bit easier to deal with. And I think Belgium are well equipped to deal with it. So for me, Belgium are the ones to look out for. Right, I reckon we've got time for one more question. So I'm going to let you boys choose which one we go for because we've got two left. If we don't answer your question this week, we will do it next week. We've got Rachel, who wants to know who the best number six to play in the Premier League is. And we've got Tom Dunk, who wants to know which three teams we want to see promoted to the Premier League and why. What do you fancy out of those oh, two? We, we've already, we already covered a little bit of promotion, haven't we? So should we do the best number six thing? Yeah, so we have a question here from Rachel. Rachel wants to know who we think is the best number six to play in the Premier League. And I think with this question, I'm not sure she means the number six as in wearing the number six on the back of your shirt. I think she means that classic defensive midfielder role. So if we're going down that tact, which I think is what Rachel means. Who do we think is the best defensive midfielder to play in the Premier League? I'm glad we're going for that option rather than players that actually wear the number six because I was trying to think of good players in the Premier League who wear the number six currently and there aren't any. It's like Dejan Lovren, Danny Drinkwater. That That's kind of it. Paul Pogba is the only standout player. Number six is not a popular number for some reason. But in terms of defensive midfield players who kind of play in that holding role, I'm going to say someone that I think... I don't know whether this will be controversial or not. I think it's James Milner. I know he hasn't always played in that kind of role and he's played all over the park. Like when he was at Villa, he was playing a bit more of an attacking role. But he is Mr. Steady. I don't think over the last 15 years there'd be a player that I'd rather have in my Premier League team than James Milner. Hang on a sec, hang on a sec. 
are you taking it from current players who are in the Premier League right now? Because I read this question as all-time best defensive midfielders or number sixes in the Premier League. And I think if you're going with James Milner as the best defensive midfielder, that's a crazy shout. I think just because he's because of the longevity he's had in the league and the fact that he's done it time and time again and season after season after season. There are better players who have had one or two seasons in that role. But is there anyone that's done it as consistently in the Premier League? Uh, I'm going for Claude Makélélé, the former Chelsea man, just because they named the entire role after him, the <laughs> Makélélé role. So for me, he's the best. Uh, although Roy Keane was very good at that central midfield role, I would say Roy Keane was more of a centre mid rather than a defensive midfielder. And that's just maybe me being a little bit pedantic. I just thought Roy Keane got forward a little bit more. Patrick Vieira was also a, a good defensive midfield player back in the day, but also Arsenal 4-4-2. And Keane and Vieira had those good battles between them. But for me, Makaleli, he's the OG. He's the first person who kind of brought that deep line playmaker role to the Premier League, pulling strings from deep and making things happen and getting play going, breaking the lines. And so for me, makalele has been the best defensive midfielder in the Premier League in my time watching the Premier League since its incarnation. At the moment, though, if you're talking about players in the Premier League right now, it's hard to look past Fernandinho, even though he's been playing at centre-back for Manchester City this season due to their defensive problems. I think on his day in defensive midfield, he's the best player at that job. He breaks up play really well, and that takes a lot, really, to be put above the likes of N'Golo Conte at Chelsea, who on his day is the best in the world at that position. But in the last couple of seasons, I think the contrast is Fernandinho has been playing in a title winning side and the side that's winning trophies, whereas Chelsea kind of played him out of position, particularly under Maurizio Sarri. So for me, Fernandinho just about gets ahead of N'Golo Conte right now on current form. Speaking of Chelsea players, what about Michael Essien? Would you put him in in that role or was he a bit more offensive as well? No, I think that's fair to put him in that role. I just don't think comes anywhere close to Ungolo Conte, Fernandinho or Claude Makélélé. Yeah, I like Essien. He's got that absolute banger against, uh, was it Man United or Liverpool? I can't remember who it was. Where he bent one in from about 35 yards. It popped up on my Twitter feed yesterday and I was just watching it over and over again. I thought he was absolutely brilliant, Michael Essien. Um, one player I would like to throw into the whole mix is uh, Xabi Alonso. Um, just because I'm just, basically the closest thing the English game has ever had to Andrea Perlo is probably Xabi Alonso in terms of how he would sit and link up. We could hit a pass from anywhere. Either foot was just so good. His range of passing was, was insane. Um, and he he had he, sort of an underrated part of his game was was his was his tackling and his his ability to get stuck in. He was a big big lump. He was six foot two or something like that. So he he had plenty of uh, physical ability and he didn't he didn't shy away from it as as some uh, some sort of foreign players do a little bit. Um, he had everything to his game. He had long range shooting. He scored a couple of worldy goals from his own half, which. Uh, burnt Newcastle uh, once once upon a time he once got uh, Steve Harper from his own his own centre circle which was a bit embarrassing but also brilliant at the same time um, so he would be one I one I threw uh, threw into the mix with with the likes of with the likes of uh, Fernandinho and Pogba of the the recent times and all, all the rest of it so I would stick Xabi Alonso in there it's an interesting position in the defensive midfield role, isn't it? Because, I mean, you mentioned underrated qualities. It's, obviously, it's one of those roles that tends to go a little bit unnoticed. 
sometimes because if you're playing it well you do go unnoticed because it's all about your positioning and your ability to read the game. So it's not about running around making crunching tackles because if you're running around making a crunching tackle, if you're chasing someone back, you've been caught out. Your positioning hasn't been that great. So it is often a little bit of an unsung hero type role. It is, yeah. Um, I think as well, just going back to Makaleli, I was just thinking then, um, my the best thing for me about Claude Makaleli was the... Um, the season where Chelsea got to the end of the season, they'd, they'd absolutely walked the league, they'd won, everything was wrapped up. I think they were playing, it might have been Bolton or someone at Stamford Bridge, and they got a penalty, and every outfield player had scored um, a penalty, uh, scored a goal in that season except McAlilly. So I think they were 2 or 3 nil up, and they gave the penalty to McAlilly, and you've never seen a man more uncomfortable. And he took the penalty, and the, goal, the goalkeeper this. saved it. And it came right back to him, fortunately, and he scuffed it with his, I think it was his left foot, he scuffed it and it bounced over the goalie and went in and the everyone just went mental, like all the players hugging him and stuff like, Jesus, Claude McAlele scored a goal. And it was just, it's just hilarious because it was the worst penalty you've ever seen and it was the worst <laughs> finish you've ever seen, but it went in the back of the net and that, that meant that every outfield player had scored for Chelsea. Right, that is it for your question episode, the AQA edition of Football Social Daily. I enjoyed that. That was good. We'll do that again next week. So get your questions in via our social media at The Sports Social. You can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, anywhere you care to have a look. Marley, Niall, thank you very much, boys. Cheers. Thank you. Make sure you click subscribe and you'll never miss an episode. And we'll see you on Monday for the next Football Social Daily. Have a top weekend. Football Social Daily with German Doner Kebab. Now 40 restaurants across the UK. Find out where at germandonerkebab.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, full work, limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.